With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Barbershop style talk. 
we just get topics and, and chop them up and, and, and run around and run the gamut um, and, and hit you off going around going around in the cipher. Uh, I got my man Phil T Sports T A T. We gonna let that ride, bro. You gotta let that jam, man. Got that two five in the background. T A T, you in the house, man? What's happening, Captain? Glad to be back. Been on vacation the last couple of weeks. Um, been enjoying the show from a from a distance, from a listener standpoint, and uh, I'm uh, excited to be back in the saddle. I got a whole lot to say tonight. Folks are gonna be hearing a whole lot. You know, it's kind of like when Wu Tang was doing their thing, and all of a sudden Method Man got his own CD. He got his own album. <laughs> yeah, so this is gonna be, this is gonna be the uh, the cow of uh, RSG show. PhD is, is is taking over. So he's gonna quarterback us tonight, uh, rounding out rounding out the triangle, the triangle of doom. We got my man. Justin Page. Justin. Fellas, fellas. JP, RSG. how you feeling, bro? Fellas, fellas. RSG fans, good evening. Feeling feeling good. Glad to be here. You know, Phil T, we missed you. I want to take a quick uh, a quick 10 seconds to shout out a great man. My uncle, uh, Greg Tillery, passed away last night, 66 years old. He's an avid Real Sports Guys listener, and uh, I'm dedicating this show to him, fellas, so it's going to be epic. Here, here. Hey, look. Yeah, here, here, man. Here, 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 here. Sorry for your loss, partner. Appreciate that. Yeah, so we got a lot to get into. The NBA Finals are wrapped up. Um, and, you know, we're really going to just digest this for you, all right? We go, we're going to digest the NBA Finals. There's a lot of ups and downs. It's probably one of the best finals in recent memory. Um, yeah. I don't know necessarily where I would rank it. I don't kind of like to do that because you kind of get caught up in the moment when you get to ranking stuff too quickly. But I would say it was enjoyable, extremely enjoyable. Um, the guy that's through this whole conversation, my man PhD, is going. He's going to sit in the captain's chair. And he's going to guide the ship tonight. I get to I get to run the wing and, and chuck up some bad shots. I get to chuck up some ill-advised jump shots, Kobe style. So so, so let's get into it, PhD. You play to win the game. We are going to win tonight. This is uh so so let me talk to the folks, Marcus, and let them know how how this whole show came across, came to be. I have you got thoroughly, it. thoroughly, I've thoroughly enjoyed these NBA finals. And going back to the summer of 2010, you know, yes, I I am the one that do, that defended LeBron James. I was the one that sat there and said that, you know, perhaps the decision was a bad thing, but I like what the young man was doing. And I've taken a whole lot of heat, um, no pun intended, over the last couple of years for being such an avid LeBron James supporter um, through his questionable decisions. And I'll give you that they've been questionable. So I, I mean, this is sounding like the victory lap I took last year, you know, quite honestly. And, and I'm sure Marcus is tapping his finger right now. But, you know, the victory lap I took last year, pretty much to sum it up, it was I told you so. And so this year, I just enjoyed the basketball. I did. We saw two teams who played basketball the right way. They For the most part, they moved the ball around. They had guys that did what they were supposed to do. They did their job. You know, 
it took me back to some of the matchups of the Celtics and the Lakers in the 80s, where you just saw one team beat the socks out of one team, you know, in one game, but then two nights later, the other team did the same thing. You know, and, and we saw that with the middle three or four games of the series where they were pretty much blowouts. And it was just like a chess match. So, as with a couple other things we've done in the past, I started putting together observations. And this whole show is going to be my list of observations. Okay, ten observations that I came up with. Justin, I have a question for you. Talk to me. How many are in a dozen? Say it one more time. How many are in a dozen? Twelve. Marcus, how many inches are in a foot? Twelve. So I'm going to ask you guys both, how many observations do I have in my top ten? Ten. Betting man, I'd say twelve. That's right. Thank you, Justin. Uh, now, now, Marcus, I would dog you, but we got our undergrad from the same place, Hell to Beloit College. Goodness. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So, so let's just dive in. My first observation, and and this was, you know, I just did a second victory lap. But I got to tell you, fellas, in game six, Miami's down five with 28 seconds to go. I was, you know, my heart was in the pit of my stomach because I could hear, you know, D-Wills and the game changer just, just, just getting the text messaging ready, you know, to to just dog me being the LeBron supporter. But I want to ask you guys, Marcus, I'll start with you. What, is, what do you think about the last 28 seconds of game six? Um, well, first off, shame on the Miami Heat fans leaving their squad high and dry. All right? It ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over. Now, the last 28 seconds, and not even just the last 28 seconds, I'll take it a step further. That entire fourth quarter, we were on air. Before that, and Justin and I both were like, LeBron, you cannot go out going three four eleven. Yeah. And I don't know if he heard us. You know, we know he has supreme rabbit ears, so I don't know if he had a boy listening to the show. Shout out to LeBron's crew, Maverick, whoever's listening. Shout out, you know, RSG listeners, I guess. And he responded. Dude went off. He put in work. He did his thing. Now, what I'll say about that last 28 seconds, LeBron put his team in a position to do that. Um, he played like the baddest man on the planet. And, and that's all I've ever asked. And that was my biggest qualm with LeBron in the, in the Dallas series was that, yo, if they win it, they win it, but they got to go through me. You know, I'm the baddest dude in the arena. I'm the best player on the court. I'm not going to sit here passing up shots. You know what? If I got to run into three dudes, I'm running into three dudes. But I'm not going out without a fight. And he did that in that game. Now, in the last 28 seconds, I felt like the Heat took the game. The Spurs left the door open, and he kicked it in. And that's all you can ask from anybody. You know, if the team gives you an opportunity, the Spurs could have slammed the door shut by one, making free throws, and then two, just taking care of the basketball. Um, maybe there's some questionable decisions by Pop. It, the decision he made to sit Duncan made basketball sense in the sense that it's one of those things where, in theory, it sounds like the right thing to do. Um, but, you know, things got, things got hectic. Things got out of play. And when things get hectic, basketball players fall back on their natural instincts. And when you don't have a naturally instinctive rebounder on the court and a rebounder and a rebound gets taken by the, and the other team does, um, as much as we, you know, 
You talk about Chris Bosh. He is a former 20 and 12 dude, and he grabbed the board. He's tallest dude on the court. He grabbed a rebound. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, they get up another shot. Shot goes in. So, again, hats off to Miami. San Antonio left the door open, but Miami still had to execute down the stretch to get it to where they needed it to be for, to give themselves a second chance. So, you know, that's what they got Ray Allen for. That shot right there was the reason they signed Ray Allen, point blank period. If Ray yeah. Allen had made a shot all season, they signed him for that exact moment. That shot, that moment is why he was on the Miami Heat this season. So everything kind of came together. You got Brosh getting the rebound, finding Ray Allen, Ray Allen knocking down the shot, boom, and there you have it. And I think that that last 28 seconds killed the Spurs. Um, just as a, a, a player, having getting that close to winning a championship, having an opportunity, it's hard to get over that. It's it's like it's like getting cold feet at the altar with Beyonce. You know, <laughs> you are going to regret that moment that you walked away and you didn't seal that deal for the rest of your life. <laughs> and that's and that's how wow, I go. Like the Spurs, wow, like the Spurs. Yeah, man, I, I, I feel like that's how the Spurs was feeling, man. It was just hard to get over. Like, yo, I was right there, man. I had it. I had it. What, what did I do wrong? You know what I'm saying? So that's how I feel like the Spurs were, man. And uh, so that's that's my synopsis of the last 28 seconds, you know. Justin may have a different opinion. That's my opinion, you know, and it's your list. That's right. Justin, let me ask you. So the the last play of that game was Danny Green took the inbound pass on the far corner, took one or two dribbles, uh, and shot a three and it got blocked by Chris Bosh. Was was that a foul? Absolutely not. It may have been a foul in the first three quarters of the game, but you don't make that call in, in the fourth quarter and overtime. I think the refs did a phenomenal job not making themselves the headlines and making themselves be accountable. You know, you, you as a ref, you never want to decide the game. And I think that if they made that call, they would have decided the game. Me, being the avid Duke fan that I am, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that Danny Granger, Granger, I mean, not Danny uh, Granger, Danny Green failed miserably when it counted the most. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think the most UNC players not named Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But um, that was definitely not a foul. Great closeout on Bosch. Uh, great team defense by the Miami Heat, the, the two-time champions now. And, uh, you know, hats off goes to them. I, I couldn't agree with with uh, Game Changer more. You know, Spurs left the door open. Miami took it. Chris Bosh made the play at the end of the game. But, yeah, he's getting the, the, the short end of the stick as far as the big three is concerned. And to be quite frank, yeah, he had zero points, but he made the plays that count. And I don't quite understand why he's getting the bad rap he's getting. All those in favor that Greg Popovich is a Hall of Fame coach, say aye. 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 I have a what was that? Yeah, what was that? It was a deep sigh, given that he blew this series for the San Antonio Spurs. He's a great coach. Don't get me wrong. He's Bill Belichick of the Million Patriots. But he's got a he's – a black eye. He's he's got Bill Belichick has his asterisks in New England. Greg Popovich got asterisks this series. 
he failed to have Duncan on the court for that last rebound where Chris Bosh got the offensive board to let Ray Allen hit that shot. He failed to have Tony Parker on the court at the end of the game. Where he so said, you don't think Greg Popovich is a Hall of Fame coach? He is. Four rings get you in, but I, but he okay. has to be held accountable for his his his, uh, his decisions as well. So yeah, I, mean, I kind of thought it was a sky is blue question. Um, you know, I, yeah, I thought that was a sky is blue type of question. You know, I was I was all ready to say the eyes happen. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear any other eyes, so I decided to chime in. <laughs> <laughs> so I heard birds chirping. Greg Popovich had an excellent game plan to many. In game seven, he just decided to sag off of of LeBron James and say, hey, you know, if you can beat us with a three-pointer, if you can beat us with a mid-range game, do it. What I saw as a, as a fan taking avid notes of game seven was I saw something I had never, ever, ever seen in sports. And I've watched thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours of sports. What I saw was Greg Popovich telling uh, statistically one of the best mid-range shooters in the league this year, a guy who shot over 40% from three, 56% from the field, and I believe was the third-rated mid-range shooter in the game to do that. And I tell you what, LeBron killed him. And to me, this is like telling Barry Bonds, you know what, the your hot spot is the inside half of the plate. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pitch you to the inside part of the plate. And so for me, and again, I understand why Popovich did it, okay? You know, you don't want LeBron just to be driving down the lane, getting to the line, everything else. But to me, this validates my opinion why LeBron James is legitimately a top ten player of all time right now. Whoa. Because. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go right ahead, fellas. Well, let me. Can I jump in quick, fellas? Let me jump in real quick. Now, what I'll say is about pop, about pop strategy is that. Um, I, like you said, PhD, I understand why he did it. And I'm not even going to disagree on the LeBron top ten. I'll I, I put him in my top ten. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I've been, you know, critic number one for a minute. Uh, probably not number one. I think Skip Bayless – well, Skip Bayless is a hater. I'm a critic. Skip Bayless is a hater. All right? There's a very, very, very staunch difference. All right? Um, what I'll say is I understood why Pop did what he did. Here are a couple of reasons why Pop went with the strategy of giving the number three rated mid-range shooter in the league mid-range shots. Two things. If LeBron is shooting mid-range jumpers, that's probably, even though he is the number three rated, having him shoot threes and jump shots is probably the best thing you can do. <laughs> He's not getting your guys in foul trouble. He's not drawing multiple defenders. You don't have to help. You limit. You take away his creative piece, and you just make him a flat-out score. And... Yep, he killed him, and he was going to have to kill him. And you got to pick your poison with LeBron. You can't take away everything because he does everything. So you have to try and limit what he can do and control what he can do. So it's almost like they tried to put him in a box and say, look, we're going to keep you in this box. We got you bracketed on both sides. We have our guys sagging off. You got no pass lanes. All you can do is shoot. 
So if you're gonna shoot out, if you're gonna shoot your way out this box, you're gonna shoot your way out this box. But we're not gonna let you ha- let you have free reign of the court and control the whole game and get your other guys going. Now he still they still got other guys going. They still got other guys involved. But I understand why Pop chose that strategy. I think he just stuck with it too long, and LeBron figured it out. In the early games of the series, LeBron was kind of like, I'm not going to shoot this shot because you want me to shoot this shot. And that, you get in guys' heads sometimes as a coach when you do different stuff to them, when you give them a different look, or when you obviously are giving them something, they start to kind of reverse psychology, you know, play a little reverse psychology on themselves. Oh, you're giving me this because you want me to take this shot? Well, I'm not going to take it then. And I'm going to do, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to try, I'm not going to let you force me to do what you want me to do. And LeBron finally, towards the last couple of games of the series, says, you know what, you're giving it to me, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to keep taking it. And I'm going to make them. And I'm going to keep making them. So hats off to him for adjusting and, and, and figuring out how he's being played and stepping up and making the shot that he needed to make. Um, is he top ten in my book? Yeah. I'm going to leave it at that. So one of the things you said, Marcus, is that he does everything great. And in my opinion, because of that, (laughs) Michael Jordan, and again, I'm not saying that he's better than Michael Jordan, but what I am saying is teams wanted to keep Michael Jordan out of the lane, but they never sagged him the way they sagged LeBron James. And Jordan never had a statistical season where he shot better from three-point range than LeBron shot this year. So essentially, my argument is that LeBron has done everything he needs to be to be one of the best all-around players to ever play this game. And his weakness, his weakness, his weakness that Pop wanted to exploit was the best of the season. I mean, from a three-point range, he was a top-20 shooter. For a large part of the season, he was in the top ten. So if you go by statistics, he was, again, one of the best mid-range shooters in the game this year. And you know, one of the elite in terms of three-point shooting. And so that's his best, and you're giving him what's best in the NBA right now. So that was my second observation because I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that in sports where a team has said that, okay, you do everything great, so we're just going to try to make you do which, you know, what you do, which, by the way, was one of the best, you know, seasons in terms of this season statistically. Justin, what are your thoughts? You know, hats off to LeBron. Uh, game changer, go ahead and put me up there with Skip Bayless as the number one hater just because I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan at all. I've, I've made that very clear over the past 10 years. Uh, but he, he came into his own. He, he came into his own game seven. I appreciated watching greatness. I, I can admit when I'm wrong about a guy, and I, I didn't think he – I knew that they'd win because I, I won't bet against LeBron. But I think Popovich ultimately failed that team in Game 7. I think that was a poor strategy to take. You can't bait the best player in the game to take those shots. They were essentially wide-open shots between 12 and 18 feet. You can't. You can't let him do that. And I know that's what 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 got him there, but also what got the Spurs there was their ability to adjust. And I I, I feel like they felt they failed to make adjustments in Game Seven. I would have I, I would have let everybody else beat me other than LeBron. You can't let LeBron beat you because that's the obvious choice. 
I, I, I love your premise about LeBron and his greatness, and I agree with it, so I can't really talk much about that, but I can talk about how the Spurs failed in their uh, scheme to stop LeBron. They went with what got them there. However, you said it best. They're playing chess. They should have switched it up. They should have switched it up, double LeBron off the pick and roll, make him make a pass, make other guys beat them. I don't think they did that well in game seven. Just my thought. They are who we thought they were. My third observation, Tiago split on Wade. Really? (laughs) (laughs) You know what, man? Sometimes great coaches just outthink themselves, man. I think Pop got caught up in that in this series a couple of times, man, where he truly outthought himself. Um, You know, keeping – keeping, uh, you know, laying off LeBron for giving a LeBron. The thing with LeBron is you can't give him a great player, period. I don't care who it is, whether it's LeBron or Kevin Durant or Derrick Rose or Kobe or whoever. You can't give a great score a steady diet of the same look. And because eventually, again, they're going to figure out what you're doing and they're going to adjust. You know, it, it the sagging off of a guy – that's great when the guy doesn't expect it because it plays with his mind a little bit. But when he's seen it for three straight games and it's game seven, he's going to be shooting the ball. And you can guarantee he's going to be shooting the ball. So I think Pop outthought himself a little bit. Tiago splitter on Dwayne Wade. I, I still don't understand the logic on that. Um, you know, yeah, I don't know. Pop need to Pop need to release a public um, explanation for that one. He just got he got to put something out on his uh, Twitter or his uh, website. Or, Something he got to send something to the league office on that because I, I don't I don't know I I, I got nothing for you. <laughs> I think he was just out thinking himself like it looked cute for a second like oh look at this and then it didn't work and it's like what are you doing? <laughs> right. So so for me, I saw the brilliance in Pop. I saw it. I saw him trying something unconventional that worked a little bit in the previous game, but. To start that game, it didn't work, and so Pop abandoned it. You know, I think he made the earliest substitution in the history of the NBA Finals. You know, just a few seconds, maybe 60, 70 seconds into the game, and you know that experiment was over. So, to me, when coaches try that stuff, sometimes they don't know when to let go, and he did. But when I saw that, you know. Okay, Miami starting Mike Miller, you know, and I'm counting up. Okay, so and so's guarding LeBron. Well, who's gonna guard Wade? And, and then Splitter shows up. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make sure that this wasn't some kind of prank or something. So, my point of observation. And I'll let you have this one, Justin. Talk to Danny me. Green. Danny Green, the first four or five games of the series. Really? Typical UNT guy. He, he, he stepped up when it didn't matter most. Of course, you could look at it and say the NBA Finals is where you step up. But once he started reading his own headlines, once he started appearing on ESPN First Take, talking about being the possible NBA Finals MVP, once he started you know, eating his own Wheaties box in the morning, I think he got a dose of reality. He stepped up tremendously 
you know, breaking the finals record for three-pointers made in, in, in uh, you know, 25 three-pointers made in five games, which is phenomenal. But guess what? None of them were closeout games. He didn't do it when it counted. What was he, one for seven in the game seven? The guy didn't live up to what he had been doing the entire series when it mattered most. You know, he got back to being that hype man in Cleveland mode and stopped focusing on hitting the three ball, setting solid screens, cutting to the basket when it mattered most. And, and I think that he, he got a little too full of himself. And, you know, he he fueled Miami's defense to stop him. And once once he became a voc- uh, uh, a fixture in, in, in the Spurs offense, Miami said, okay, we, we let him get his confidence up. Let's tear his confidence to shreds. And they used the Duke boy and Shane Battier to do it. And I think it worked out to Miami Heat's advantage. Danny uh, Danny Green, great first five games. Last two, uh, he's all right, but he's not real. He was in a D league for a reason. So, and Justin, you raised some. Go ahead, PAG. I'm gonna go on a whole different side of it. You know, I'm gonna take a whole different side of the cake. Okay. Uh, so to me, Danny Green had a heck of a series, and. I'm not willing to criticize his game at all. I'm not. The first five games, he breaks the three-point record for threes made in the finals. If you go into the series and you ask Pop or anybody else, hey, if Danny Green gives you seven games or five games out of the seven, you know, that are just out of his body experience, will you take that? The answer will be a resounding yes. This guy is a role player. His job is to be a spot-up three-shooter, which, you know, he he was in the top five this year for that, you know, shooting over 42%. So from my perspective, I don't think he really choked the last two games. I look at what he did the first five games, and because of his shooting, he gave the Spurs a lot more than what they were expecting. And going into the series, we knew – that for the Spurs to be competitive, their main guys are going to have to give them more than what they normally did. You know, Tim Duncan was a all-NBA center, you know, averaging 17-8 and eight or 17-9 and nine this year. And, you know, I go back. The centers are a dying breed. Putting up those numbers in the 80s, he wouldn't even made an all-star team, but he was first-team all-NBA center. And you look at what he gave them throughout the series. It was a lot more than what he averaged during the regular season. And Danny Green, without Danny Green's performance, this is a four or five game series in Miami's favor. So <laughs> when he was making those threes, you know, I was looking around like, man, who is this dude? But at the end of the day, you know, I got to give a Danny Green props. But at the end of the day, this is what he was. They are who we thought they were. Exactly. I. I I agree with Denny Green a ton on that. And what I was going to say was that, you know, he is a, he is what he is. He's a role player. And role players are role players for a reason. Because you can't go to them night in and night out and expect unbelievable production. And he was giving them unbelievable production. But if you noticed, one thing we always notice and one thing we always say about role players, role players play great at home, and they don't play as well at home as they do on the road. Where were the last two games of the series at? On the road. Not San Antonio, Texas. And so when you have a role player not play well on the road, you know, it is what it is. I mean, Miami's role players didn't, role players didn't play well when they were in San Antonio. 
you go back back to Miami, the crowd's cheering for you. You know, those guys feed off that. You know, they that love that they get at, from the home crowd, they feed off that. If they played the same way all the time, they wouldn't be role players. All right? They'd be they be they be, you know, top level players. That's what top level players produce no matter what arena they go to. That's why their face is on the ticket because people are coming to see them. The role players' faces are not on the ticket. All right? They're not advertising, come see Danny Green. Because you know what? You don't know if Danny Green is going to do anything tonight. <laughs> you know, you know, you know CP3, Blake Griffin, LeBron James, D-Wade, they're going to perform. So, I mean, that's what it boils down to. At the end of the day, it boils down to simply he's a role player. And... And as a guy who who is, is, is somewhat of a analytic uh, an analytic convert, he was he was gonna regress back to the mean eventually. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like you're not gonna shoot seventy percent from three for the entire series. <laughs> it's just it don't work that way. <laughs> you know he had his hot streak, and eventually he was gonna he was gonna cool off, and you know he was gonna he was gonna come out of excellent condition eventually. You know what I'm saying? To use a technical bowl reference. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you go look up, and his condition was going to just say good. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know why? Yeah, go ahead. You you guys said exactly what I said, just in a nicer way. He's not who you thought he was. He, he gave us five games, of, actually not even five, his home games of greatness, which you can expect from a role player at home, but on the road they don't show up, and he didn't show up. So I feel like he was listening to his own headlines. He did way he, – he overachieved at home, and he got all the the national praises for it. And I think that he, he, he started feeling himself a little bit too much. And then reality set in, oh, my God, I'm playing against LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris, Chris Bosh. And he couldn't quite live up to the bill. As you said, Game Changer, he's a role player for a reason. You guys said exactly what I said. You guys were just a little nicer about it. Well, well, think about that, Justin. No, think about that. We don't have the UNC hate that you do. <laughs> Maybe that's why we were capable of doing that, <laughs> and you were not. <laughs> True that. Fair point, right? Fair point. That's a fair point. I, I got to say, I think that's a fair point. <laughs> Great point. So, so let's move on to my fifth observation, and and I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. Kawhi Leonard, wow. In the words of Dwayne Wade, he's a bad boy. Kawhi Leonard, you know, put up some very solid numbers throughout this series. In the final game, he had 19 points and 16 boards. And throughout the season, he's played good defense, strong defense. He, he's made timely shots. And... In a lot of ways, he's been what Danny Green's been on offense, pretty much a spot-up three-point shooter. He shot 37% from three this year. And if you think about it, his not coming out of San Diego State was what? He wasn't a consistent Good enough shooting the three ball. So so looking at, this, like looking at this young man's game, he just finished up his second year in the league, and all, all, all series I was getting texts, phone calls, emails about this Kawhi Leonard type of cat. And the question that people pose me, which I want to pose to you all, and I'll start with you, Marcus, is who can we compare his game to? Who can we compare his game in terms of where he's at right now and the potential that he has to be? And 
one of the guys that I thought of a lot when I was watching him was Trevor Ariza, when Trevor played with the Lakers. And here's a guy that, you know, was a great complement player to what the Lakers had at that time. And, you know, to me, Kawhi – Ariza's got to be kicking himself every day for taking more money and going to Houston where he could have been, you know, Kobe's Pippen for another couple of years at least. And I think they really could have put together something special there, you know. And and now the guy I think is riding somewhere in in New Orleans with the Pelicans. So, uh, you know, I'll start with you, Marcus. Kawhi Leonard, where do you think he is right now in terms of comparison and, and what kind of player do you think he can develop into? Um, as far as a comparison today, um, I have to I have to go with a guy. To if, 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 I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and say when I think when I look at Kawhi Leonard right now, I see Derek McKee from the Seattle SuperSonics in the late '90s, um, and when wow. he was with the Pacers. Lockdown defender can shoot the three about six eight six nine. And swing back between that small forward, possibly play a little power forward for you. But that's where I see where he is right now. Give you 13 points, six or seven boards, consistent three-point shooter. Where I think his ceiling is um, and where I think he can get to, he can give you six seconds or less era Phoenix Suns, Sean Marion. At some point in his career, I think that's where he'll max out. Where he's giving you, He can give you 20 and 11 shooting a high percentage from the floor, shooting a high percentage from three, you know, playing that lockdown D. He can give you a, a 25, 26-year-old matrix um, at his peak. That's his ceiling, in my opinion. So that's what I see when I see Kawhi Leonard. Wow. Marion? Sean Marion? I... I I don't know, Marcus. You have to sell me. Don't forget how bad Sean Marion was, man. Don't forget how bad Sean Marion was when he was in that in, in that frame. I mean, again, he was giving you twenty and ten as a small forward, Sean Marion. Right. Twenty and ten in like a small forward position, plus giving you steals and blocks. He's giving you steals and blocks and hits a three. If Kawhi Leonard ever does that, I think Kawhi Leonard would be happy. See, see, I don't. Have you know a what I mean? I don't have a problem with Marion's game. You know, I'm sold. Marion was a legitimate all-star for those two years in Phoenix. I mean, he, he had to be dealt with. I mean, he was a player. But I don't see the Kawhi Leonard comparison because it seems like Marion was able to play guard guys a little bit bigger than him. You know, Marion was able to play a little bit more down low. I just don't see that with Leonard. Yeah, I feel like he did a great job on LeBron. He did he did as good a job on LeBron and on the block as any guy his size I've seen. I, I haven't seen a guy his size handle LeBron on the block as well as Kawhi Leonard did. I think he could, I mean, and LeBron got him by 30 pounds at least. I mean, LeBron, Shane, you a, took the words right out of my mouth. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. Like, Phil T, how can you say he doesn't guard bigger guys than he guarded LeBron James as good as anybody in the entire season? I like to take a step back and say that it's pretty disrespectful to Scottie Pippen that you compared him to Trevor Ariza and said Ariza could beat Kobe's Pippen. Like, Ariza couldn't hold Pippen's shot strap. Ariza is a poor man's Ron Harper. So, like, I, 
I don't. The reason left the Lakers and became a forgotten has been. So I don't think he should even be brought up in this conversation. I think Kawhi proved himself. I had Kawhi as a top player coming out of San Diego State under the great Steve Fisher. I actually picked them that year to go to the Final Four, and they let me down because uh, uh, I, I was a, a huge fan of Fisher and his program at San Diego State, and I've been following Kawhi Leonard ever since. I think Kawhi Leonard is right there with, you know, he he's a rich man, Sean Marion. I love Game Changers comparison. He can defend. He can score. He can stretch the defense. He gives you everything you want. And I think under the mentorship of Tim Duncan and, and, and Greg Popovich, he has the ability to become an all-star. Yeah, I like Kawhi Leonard. When I was watching this series, I just kept saying, wow, because I think the sky is the limit for this young man. As far as Ariza, I agree. Um, Ariza was nowhere near Pippen, but when Ariza played out in L.A., that was early in his career. And if you look at an early Scottie Pippen, you know, his first two or three years in Chicago, you know, I, I can see a lot of comparisons. And I thought at one point Ariza had the ability to polish himself out like Pippen did. Pippen's first two or three years, nobody was talking that this guy was going to be a Hall of Famer or a top 50 player. So at the same point in their early career, you know, I, you know, I do think Pippen's a pretty strong comparison in terms of he and Ariza. And Kawhi Leonard, I think that he's further along than both those guys after his second year. And I know that's saying a lot. But that's how I'm, like that's how impressed I am with, with Kawhi Leonard's game. Jeez. I always hey, try to hey, let me, let me, go ahead. Go ahead, Game Changer. Go ahead, Justin. Okay. Well, look, I, what I was going to say was, you know, the thing that I, I, I'm i still – with guys like Kawhi Leonard, young guys who come into a situation where you're playing with Hall of Famers, and the same thing with Ariza. You know, we've seen kind of a different – and, again, Ariza's still pretty young. He's only 27, you know. So – even though he's been out of L.A. for three, four years now, he, as you said, he was a pup back then. Um, with these young guys who are at giving these roles, I think we, we get a little caught up. We don't want to project too far on their upside because they are playing with all, all the famous. And you can look at a guy like Rondo. Rondo's a great point guard, but I could give you seven or eight assists a night. And if I'm playing with KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen, I can give you seven assists. I think I could. <laughs> you know what I mean? So Rondo giving you 12 is great, but what happens – when you know those 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 answers that those those other guys are not there. I was having this conversation um, with a parent tonight, uh, or one of my one of my players on my team, and I was just saying it's a different ball game when you get the ball and the whole defense turns around and stares at you. You know, when that's what happens when Tony Parker has the ball. Tony Parker touches the ball, the whole defense turns around and looks at Tony Parker and says, "What you gonna do?" You know. Duncan gets the ball. The whole defense turns, looks at Tim Duncan. Kawhi Leonard gets the ball, his man looks at him. Everybody else is trying to figure out where Parker and Duncan are. You know what I mean? So when that when that shift happens and he becomes a focal point, is he going to continue to, to be able to put up those numbers? I'm not quite sure yet. He's decent off the bounce. That's really, to me, the indicator of, not, of whether or not a guy can really um, kind of jump into that next stratosphere of being an elite player. And you saw it with Steph Curry. Steph Curry got wicked with his handles, and now you can't do nothing with the boy. And that's really – and Paul George, he's getting better with his handle. That's been his biggest thing since he got to the league. His handle was a little shaky. His handle is improving. His scoring is improving. 
When you can be able to use your handle to get into the spaces and get into places where you want to, then you become an elite player. Kawhi still got a little work to do on that handle. He hasn't been asked to do a lot of that, so maybe we haven't seen all he has because he's not being asked to do that kind of stuff yet. And so that's why I get the Marion comparison because Marion was a guy who, again, if you if you get him going to the rack, you, you get him a running start, get out of the way. You find him spotted up, count it. You know what I mean? He he get he get in at, he get at you on the glass, and then he'll play good solid defense on the other end. The other pieces can he create for other people? Can he you know create his own shot? Those for me are still yet to be seen. So I think he can be an all star. Can he jump into that top ten, top five player in the league? We'll have to see if he can do those other things. You know, can he create for other people? Can he, you know, create his own shot? Those are the pieces of his game that I still think have yet to be seen. And, you know, with guys like Ariza who have left those situations, or even Sean Marion, you know, once he left that situation in, in, in uh, Phoenix, he really, you kind of really saw, okay, he can't really quite create his own shot. You know, right. he doesn't create for other people. And same thing with Ariza, can't really create his own shot. Good defender, good athlete, can shoot it okay, but, again, doesn't have a handle. You know, so those are some of the things you got to look at when you're talking about great players. The great players in the league handle the ball really well, and that's why it's a point guard-driven league right now because those are the best ball handlers on the floor. They control the pace, and they can get where they want to get to on the court with their handle. And the guys who are good who aren't point guards, they have a nice handle. And so that's I haven't seen that yet. I'm not saying Kawhi doesn't have it. I just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, if you look at his numbers his first two years and if you look at Pippen's, they're they're almost identical. You know, Scotty averaged seven or eight points his first year, didn't start any games. Second year, he averaged 13 or 14. And that's essentially what Kawhi Leonard um, is doing right now. Now, you know, obviously he's not as good a ball handler as Scotty was, but if you look at what he brought to the table in terms of being a complimentary piece, you know, I think Kawhi Leonard can bring that too. Now, obviously, he's got a whole lot of polishing to do to his game, but seeing him develop throughout the season, you can see that he's taken on more and more. And I was surprised that, you know, <laughs> that was his strength at South, at uh, San Diego State, was getting to the basket and making stuff happen. And his first year and a half with the Spurs, he wasn't asked to do that. He was just asked to spot up. Uh, Justin, let me bring you in and let me ask you, you know, I brought up two players uh, in terms of Kawhi Leonard, where he is and where he's going to be. You know, who who would be two players that you would fill in for Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard in terms of his path right now? That's a, that's a million-dollar question right there. First off, I'd like to shout out the great Duke. Duke uh, alumni Danny Ferry for bringing Kawhi Leonard to San Antonio at the time for George Hill. I think I think that was a quintessential piece to the Spurs' success this season. Um, you know what? I see a lot of Scottie Pippen in Kawhi Leonard's game. Uh, to to mirror what you're saying, PhD. Um, you know, I don't think you're right. He, um, but that's not what he's asked to do. He has Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and Gary Neal to to manage the ball handling piece of things. I think his his game from a defensive perspective, his uh, uh, the his arm length. I think 
I think he's a lot like Scottie Pippen. I can't give you two players because there's not many Kawhi Leonard's and Scottie Pippen's out there. But I think that Kawhi Leonard is a future all-star. I think his defensive capabilities, his ability to hit open shots, and his ability to 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 just be that grit and grind type of player that Scottie Pippen, that Horace Grant, that Ron Harper type of guy on on a championship caliber team speaks in volumes. And the biggest comparison I see is Scottie Pippen for sure. All right, we'll be back in 45 seconds. Let's pay some bills. Resistance Digital Solutions. Are you tired of running to the boys in blue? Are you done with listening to sales staff trying to upsell technology that you don't need? We've all been there. So, what did the real sports guys do? We contacted Resistance Digital Solutions for all our technology needs. They are not there to meet sales quotas or make profit margins. They simply just want to sell you what you need at a fair price. From iPads to PCs to flat screens, TVs, or intricate home theater systems, they customize every solution based on your needs. Check out their website at www.resistancedigital.com or email them at sales at resistancedigital.com for your custom technology solutions today. We're back with you, Real Sports Guys on realsportsguys.com. I'm I'm having a stream of conscience. And my boys, Marcus the Game Changer and Justin Page, Kalamazoo's Finest, is uh, they're helping me out. And if you guys notice, I'm throwing stuff out there just to mix it up, just to mix it up. You know, to get that, what are you talking about, you know, uh, response from you. Because, you know, when I was watching the finals, to me there were so many different storylines that have come up. And so far I'm on my sixth one. There was a key play in the fourth quarter, a key play in the fourth quarter, where Mario Chalmers attacks the rim. He, he hits a cutting Dwayne Wade on the baseline who attacks the rim. But, like for a dunk, but he gets his block, his shot blocked by Duncan. LeBron then gets the rebound. He attacks the rack and gets fouled on the putback. He goes to the line and makes two. To me, when I watched that exchange, the intensity was so high. LeBron getting that rebound, going back up. Dwayne Wade not going up for a layup, going going strong for a dunk. I mean, this was like 06 Dwayne Wade. These cats were hungry. They were hungry for this chip. It was game seven, fourth quarter. They're trying to hold the lead. The ball movement was perfect. You know, Chalmers creates something off the dribble, which I don't think he gets enough credit for doing. He finds a cut, a cutting Dwayne Wade, which uh, the majority of this series he would have taken a pull-up jumper or a floater. But this guy goes to the rack strong. Great block by Duncan. LeBron is on the block getting the rebound, and he goes back up. Gets fouled, hits two. They go back up four. What do you guys think about that play? I'll start with you, Marcus. Well, I recall this play as well. Um, And, you know, I thought you were going to go a different, different direction and not focus on the intensity of the situation, but more so focus on kind of the uh, poetic essence of the situation where D-Wade goes in, he gets blocked. 
LeBron fights for the rebound. LeBron go LeBron goes in, he gets fouled. <laughs> and, and, and use that as a jump off point to talk about where D Wade is as a player. Um what I will say though about the intensity was I love watching this series and I love the way these guys fought. LeBron and those guys were not gonna be denied. Um San Antonio was not gonna be denied. Eventually somebody had to lose though. It's a basketball game. You know, it's not it's not a uh uh, uh, NFL playoff game where there's no, it can be no winner. <laughs> um, but what I'll say is, uh, you know, the guy Duncan coming out in that game six and, and scoring 30 points in the first three quarters, guys had a sense of the moment, um, which is always just, it always adds to the excitement as a fan that you get from watching when you're watching players who absolutely understand the moment. They understand um, what they need to do. And, again, with me and LeBron, that's always been my biggest critique is I felt like he didn't have that understanding of the moment. You know, the under, that's what made Mike shrug his shoulders when he was hitting all them shots. He got it. He's like, yo, man, <laughs> I, don't, I, I really don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just understanding that moment. That's what made Mike pose after hitting that shot over Byron Russell. He understood the moment. He's like, yo, take a picture. <laughs> this might be the last time you see me for a little bit. You know, he understood that. And so finally LeBron, and not to compare him to Mike, and not to say he has to be like that. As a fan, it's more entertaining when guys get that, when guys have that understanding of the moment. When Kobe was going off a couple of years ago on Phoenix um, in the playoffs, he hit a three in the corner, falling out of bounds, running down court, smacked Alvin Gentry on the butt. You know what I mean? That, to me, is entertaining. That's why I watch, you know what I mean, to see guys who get it. Yeah, this is a game. I'm having fun, and I got it going right now. There really ain't nothing you can do about it. And so that level of intensity, that level of, of connection to what's happening on the court is always a joy for me to watch. And to have those guys bring that almost every single night, even the games that were blowouts were still well-played, entertaining and tough basketball games. It was just one team had it. They had the adjustment for that night. The other team just couldn't figure it out for that particular night. And by the time they did, it was the game was out of hand. And sometimes, you know, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And both coaches, I think, did a good job of saying, you know what, we got to live to fight another day. Um, we're playing chess, not checkers, and it is, the series ain't over. So, yeah, we got, our, we got punched in the mouth this time, but we'll bring it next time. In this game seven, um, I was I was concerned about how the Spurs will respond after game six because I was really worried that they weren't going to be able to recover from that. Um, and that game seven, it was either going to be extremely close or it was going to be a route by Miami. Um, and even if it was extremely close, I wouldn't I I, I would I wouldn't say that the Spurs would win that, and I wouldn't say the Heat would win it. But if it was a route, the Heat were going to win in the route. I saw no way the Spurs were going to blow out the Heat at home. Um, just given everything at stake. Um, you know, it had been a long summer in South Beach for old Bron Bron and, and D. Wade and, and, and Chrissy Bosch. Um, they would have had a rough time out there. The parties wouldn't have been as hype. The girls wouldn't have looked as good. The drinks wouldn't have been as cold. And it would have been a rough time on South Beach. That play to me, that play to me said urgency. There's this urgency yeah. that we are better like we are better than you all are. We can turn it up a notch. We can turn it up a notch that you all don't have. 
You know, your dial goes from zero to ten. Guess what? We got a fifteen, <laughs> and you don't have it. You do not have it. And, and so that play, and I'm seeing a whole lot in a play. Granted, okay, probably some listeners out there driving in your car, listening to iTunes, like, man, this dude saw a lot in a seven-second play. To answer your question, yes, I did. Yes, I did. What I also saw, there's more. I saw that next year these cats are probably going to be the second or third seed in the East, talking about Miami. And, mm, and I really, think, that's bold. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I that's think bold. they're going to be okay with that. I think they're going to be okay with being the second or third seed because Dwayne Wade, I can see Spolster going to some kind of system playing Wade, you know, not playing him on back-to-backs, just, just kind of monitoring his minutes and his games, kind of like how Doc has done with Pierce and with Garnett. And they're going to be okay because they know that they have that extra notch. If they, ha- if they have their guys fresh for the playoffs. And winning the second championship is has validated LeBron to a level where – if they have a bad stretch in the regular season, it's going to be okay. I'm going to so, let Justin get you, then I'm going to get you. <laughs> yeah, let's. I always caution everybody on RSG uh, and all of all of our RSG followers: don't become creatures at the moment. Okay. The same conversation we're having about D Wade. We had it last week about Manny Ginobili, and he came out and had the game five career game. Okay, great players are great players. D-Wade is only 31 years old. He's not going to fade into oblivion and be an afterthought with bad knees. He's going to get his rest this offseason, and, and he's going to come back like the D-Wade that we know. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, three of the top ten players of their era. Again, I'm going to I'm gonna repeat that. Three of the top ten no, players. No, no, no. Just move on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to debate that one with you tonight. You just keep it going. We are, Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Three of the top ten players of their era, they're not going to fade and be a, a, a two seed. They take every game seriously. There's a reason why they were the number one overall seed and they won home court advantage. There's a reason why they got game seven home court, because they wanted it more than everybody else all season long. Okay. Miami's not going to fade into oblivion. They're going to do the same thing they did this year, next year, and for many years to come as long as they can re-sign everybody. I know they're up for new deals in 14, and I think Pat Riley's going to find a way to make it work, and I think that LeBron's going to going to, going to go to new levels. D-Wade's going to stay consistent. Chris Bosh may even, you know, add some weight this offseason and come back a better player next year. I think that that too many sports fans – Become they they become creatures of the moment, and they don't understand long term strategy. They don't understand what it takes to be great, and, and they discredit Chris Bosh because he had a bad game seven. You know what? LeBron was was a, a Ray Allen three pointer away from being trash. If Ray Allen don't hit that that shot, game six at the end with five seconds to play, LeBron's a choke artist. He's one for four in the NBA Finals. Like we're too fickle. We don't see we don't see uh, macroeconomics. It's macro. It's not micro. It's not one game. It's career. 
You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I want to get over our follower test, talking macro and microeconomics, but if you really look at it, yo, these three players are are are, are trans trans transcendent in the game today, and nobody's giving them enough credit for it. And I think that they're going to continue to win. I don't see anybody beating them in the foreseeable future. Game changer. Yeah. So so I had a perspective on this, and my perspective was simply this. They can't be a two or three seed next year, point blank period. They have to be the one seed. If they're a two or three seed this year, they don't have the game six and game seven in Miami, and I don't think they win them. Because, again, you're talking about role players playing different. You're talking about role players stepping up. You know, Birdman wasn't Birdman in San Antonio. Shane Battier was non-existent in San Antonio. You know, so I think they have to come out and figure we want to be the one seed because we want that extra advantage because Indiana's going to be tough. Chicago's going to be tough. Um, and the Knicks, Brooklyn, we'll see. But they know that it's going to be tough at the top. And I agree with you. It's going to be tougher at the top of the Eastern Conference. And I think that's really what you're getting at, PhD, is that the Eastern is, the East is going to get thick with Granger and Rose coming back. We'll it's gonna be a bit. It's gonna be a bit tougher for Miami, but I think Miami has to be the one seed. If they're not the one seed, I, I think I think they run the risk of of, of putting themselves at a, at a disadvantage come playoff time. I think they they yeah. know that, and I think they're gonna come out. And I still think they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, hands down. I think the other teams are catching up. The other teams are gonna give them a run for their money. But I think in the end, there's one team with the experience. There's one team with the rings right now, and that's Miami. Game changer, explain the segment onions, because I have a bold prediction. All right. So we have a segment uh here around uh, around these parts. We call onions. Um we trade we, we, we stole that from uh Bill Raftery. Um and this is where you make a bold prediction that takes some onions, which is a colloquialism for something else that we're not gonna get into because this is a family show. But it takes some guts to make this particular posi- uh, prediction. So it sounds like my man P.H. Dizzle has an onion for us. What you got? How to plant onions. Probably a pretty formidable player. 
Miami will be the number one seed next year. Miami will win the championship next year. And my onion is they're not going to lose it until they disassemble the team. I think bringing Derrick Rose back is going to be uh, uh, a challenge for, for the Heat, which I think they'll they'll gladly welcome. But I think that bringing Danny Granger back to the Pacers is going to hinder them as opposed to help them. I think it's going to take shots away from Paul George. I think it's going to take touches away from Maury Hibbert, and I don't think they'll have the same success they had this year. I think they're smart. They move Danny Granger and find a formidable point guard not named George Hill or DJ Augustine. Miami will certainly be the number one seed in the NBA champions for years to come. So so essentially we're saying the same thing, um, except for I'm saying that they're not going to be a one seed. And, and here are my reasons. My reasons are, if you look at their team, I'm not sure how much better they can get given the resources that they have without breaking up the team. And I agree with you, Justin, they should not break up the team. If you look at their shooters, Ray Allen, Miller, Chalmers, LeBron, Battier, they had five guys in the top 30 for three-point shooting. All those guys were above 40%. Shooting three. That's what LeBron needs around him. The other thing all those guys have, with the exception of LeBron and Chalmers, is that they're getting older. And so primarily because of D-Wade, I think that Miami will not be a one seed, and I think they're going to be okay with that. I think they're going to be resigned to that because they understand that right now it's all about the playoffs. And if they lose, you know, four or five extra games per year, I don't think we're going to have a problem with that with the hopes of staying fresh for the playoffs. So when I saw that play, what I saw was Spolster saying and and Riley saying, how can I keep my guys fresh so they have enough in their tank to do this come April, May, and June? What that means is, okay, we may drop a few extra games in December, January, and February. And whether that happens this coming season or the next, I think it's going to happen. But I think the Heat will still have enough in their tank, and they're they're cohesive enough of a group where they'll be okay being a 2-3 or seed and still making a run in the playoffs and winning it, even if they have to win an extra game or two on the road. This year – You're right, Marcus. They need a home court advantage, which brings me to my seventh observation. The Heat had two game sevens in the playoffs against the Pacers and the Spurs. So a couple plays here or there, you know, we're singing a whole other story. The Heat must get better, but how? How can the Heat get better, Marcus? Oh, wow. Uh, How can the Heat get better? Uh, Well, I think... They need to get another big body um, inside. Um, who could that be? Oh yikes! Um, I have to. I haven't. I haven't looked at uh, who's available yet for free agency. Uh, who would be in their price range? They're gonna have to get a veteran. Um, maybe a guy like Samuel Dallenbear, Um Somebody around uh, a player like that who still has a little bit left in the tank, uh, can block shots and rebound, and doesn't need the ball a whole lot on offense. Um, to do and duplicate a little bit of what Birdman gave them, um, they may need somebody like that. Uh, you know, they 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 got they're gonna have to find another shooter to replace Mike Miller. 
you know, maybe giving a guy like Cal Corver a call. Um, maybe worthwhile. I don't know if his 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 deal is up. Cat like Carlos Delfino, um, maybe a guy you want to call. But a guy who can snipe um, and really is okay with just sniping, um, maybe a good look for them. But really taking the formula that they have now, you know, watch, rinse, repeat, reload with a couple of guys uh, who have a couple more years. Um, you know, I think Mike Miller may be the Mike Miller deal may be a run his course. They may amnesty him to free up a little money. Um, they may be able to squeeze another year out of uh, Shane Battier. Um, they may be able to squeeze another one out of Ray. But, you know, by the time LeBron and D-Wade and, and Chris Bosh come up off the books, um, they're going to have to talk about re-signing those guys. They're going to have to be looking at what pieces do we put around them um, and, and how can they get better. So I'd say, you know, priority number one will be trying to find a guy who can be a big body um, a rim protector, thinking about the team that you'll face, Chicago with Noah and Boozer, if Boozer's still around, or if Chicago makes a move and gets another big. But, you know, Chicago and Boozer um, and, and Noah. And then Indiana with Hibbert and West really gave them a lot of problems. Um, they just didn't have enough uh, bulk down low to match up. So, you know, a good GM is going to try and figure out a way to remedy those issues um, the thing about the Heat is that they're gonna have to, and Riles is gonna have, he's gonna have to do it on the cheap. So he's gonna have to get a poor man something, because <laughs> he can't afford a rich man's nothing right now. And my thoughts are, Miami from the offensive standpoint, I don't think a big bruiser is. They may help them in some way, but I think it takes away from the offensive brilliance that Miami has. I believe Miami's at their best when they have shooters surrounding LeBron with the exception of Wade. And if Wade, and it's a big if, I think Wade has the ability, but Wade has to become a better, consistent perimeter shooter. Teams can't have the liberty of, of shading off of him like they did, you know, through the majority of the finals. Because if you bring in Wade, you know, who's shaky on the perimeter, you bring in another bruiser who's going to need to be in the paint primarily, and then you have Bosch, who we all get nervous when he shoots, you know, three-pointers. To me, that plays to the defense's goal of shutting down LeBron and making others beat him. So I'm not convinced that they need to get bigger offensively. Now, defensively, absolutely. But I think you have to ask yourself, you'll gain a little bit defensively, but what are you giving up on the offensive end? Justin, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are I I disagree with both of you tremendously. Why does the Miami Heat need to get better? They've been to the NBA Finals the past three years. They've won it the past two. Stay the course. Have patience. Continue on the path that you're going. You don't need to do anything different. Nobody can beat you. You've got the best player in the game. You've got the second best two guards in the game. You've got arguably one of the best stretch forwards in the game who plays center. Keep doing what you came here to do. You mentioned not having cap space. Get a get a cheap guy like Greg Oden, who who has been linked to Miami several times. All you need, Greg, yeah. is to stand in the middle, get six fouls and ten rebounds. You don't need yeah. You don't even score a single bucket. 
get six six fouls, ten rebounds, you're happy with that night from Greg Oden. I like game changes analysis to get Sam Dellenbear, but I think Dellenbear is going to cost a little bit too much. Uh, uh, where it concerns me is they're going to get significantly worse because I just read a report, and it's kind of like breaking news. I read it 10 minutes ago on realgm.com that Ray Allen is planning to opt out because he's not happy with his minutes and his touches. Which, <laughs> For real. Which I'm stunned at because how does he think he's going to get minutes and touches in Miami, first and foremost? And I think that's that, that's nothing but karma because he burned Boston to go to Miami, but that's a whole other topic. So if he's not there, I think they got the cap space to get another shooter, i.e. Kyle Korver. However, I don't want to see him leave Atlanta. Um you know, Miami is always going to be an attractive place for free agents, i.e. Greg Oden, i.e. Kyle Korver, any shooter possible. But I don't think Miami can get better. How do you get better? You're, 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 you're repeat champions, one of three in the past 20 years to repeat. Why do they need to get better? Just stay the course. That's my perspective. Yeah. And, and I just want to clarify real quick. I'm not saying that they need to get better. What I'm saying is, is Birdman gives them a certain thing that it has made them successful. Birdman is also, what, 32, 33 years old. Birdman is not a spring chicken. That's not a spring, that's not a young bird, all right? That's the old crotchety bird. But he gets up and down the court. So you need to find somebody who can duplicate, and you can keep the same formula but insert new pieces into the same formula. So I'm not saying they need to scrap anything that they're doing, but they do need to rethink. Some of these guys are aging out. How do we replace the, the same type of skill set, how do we find another guy with the same type of skill set to fit into what we're doing? So I'm not saying that they should change what they're doing at all. I'm just saying you got to start to look at, okay, Mike Miller, we need somebody who can do what Mike Miller does so we can keep doing what we're doing because we are, what we're doing is working. You know what I mean? And same thing with the down bear situation. Like, okay, yeah, we need somebody. We need to bring in somebody for Birdman because maybe, we, maybe Birdman is getting too old and maybe he's not going to be able to give us what he gave us this year. So if we're going to do that, we need to look at other options that can give us what Birdman gives us, but not totally scrapping or changing inside and out what it is that they are and what it is that they do. So I, I agree with you. Uh, I just wanted to clarify that. I agree with you, Justin, um, that they don't need to do a whole lot, but what they need to start to do is look at some of the pieces that are getting older because a, a, a little-known secret in this series is that Miami actually, when you go by average age, was the older team in yeah. this series. And you would, you would not – think that, thinking about Duncan and Ginobili and Parker, guys who have been around for forever, you know, but San Antonio was actually the older team. Um, I mean, I mean, Miami was actually the older team in this series. So it's something that they do need to think about is how do we replace some of these guys who are getting long in tooth. So it's not to say that these guys, that what they're doing is wrong, but they are going to have to figure out how to get in some new pieces who can do what the guys they already have to do as well. But a little bit younger. Listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. My eighth observation. Where the heck was Chris Bosch in Game 7? His line for Game 7. 0 for 5 from the field. 7 points. 0 for 1. 3-point line. 2 assists. 1 block. Five fouls, two turnovers. Now, Justin, I'm going to bring you in. You had just mentioned that Chris Bosh is one of the best stretch fours in the league, and I 
you will get no argument from me there. Um, but I'm gonna ask you the question. But before y'all what go, I got some audio. I got some. Hold on, D, uh, PhD. I got some audio of an interview where somebody asked Chris Bosh about Game Seven. I just wanted to play that for you guys real quick. It, just take a listen. It's real. I mean, it'll shed a lot of light on what we're talking about right now. I'm not laughing about it. You think this is funny? I take this serious. I'm not I'm real not. serious. I, t- I put my heart and soul into this every single week. All I'm saying is the camera shows. I'm you just laugh. telling you right now what I do every single week. Every single week, I put my freaking heart and soul into this. I study my ass off. I don't go out there and laugh. It's not funny. It's not fun. Nothing's funny to me. I don't want to go out there and get embarrassed. That's right. That's 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 C-Boss right there. That's C-Boss when they asked about Game Seven. So I was a huge fan of Chris Bosh when he was in Toronto. I still think he's a very talented player. I think he's, you know, he he's the one that's being asked the most to to kind of alter his game and his role as a big three. Um, but, again, my eighth observation, Justin, where was Chris Bosh at in game seven? Right where Eric's supposed to replace him. How do you have a career 20-12 and 12 guy only shooting the ball five times? That's a rhetorical question, obviously. Okay. It, 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 it's flabbergasting to me that the guy can only get five touches. Like, are you kidding me right now? We're talking about a, a seven-time All-Star, a career 20-12 and 12 guy only getting five touches. You know, I, I hate to, to go back to my, my uh, June 11th argument that LeBron makes everybody around him better if they're not a superstar, because I feel like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, their roles have been diminished because of the greatness of LeBron James. So I say that to say Chris Bosh is a phenomenal player who doesn't get the respect he deserves because he's been, you know, essentially diminished from a A-plus a, a, a player to a B-plus player because he doesn't get the touches, he doesn't get the looks, he doesn't get the attempts. They changed his game. The guy would, would, would get 12 rebounds. Now they got him shooting three-pointers. That's not on him. That's on the system. That's on the scheme. That's on the coach. So Chris Bosh was exactly where Spo wanted him to be. We annoyed Spo for being a, gro- a great coach and, and anointed, anointed him as a two-time champion and, and a great coach because he manages these egos. However, I don't think he does a great job of managing all three of his great players and getting the most out of them. I think he gets the most out of LeBron. He gets 80% out of D-Wade. And I think Chris Bosh is the afterthought, and I think that's blasphemous to, to Chris Bosh's talent. The guy's a born winner. He went to the Final Four in, at Georgia Tech when nobody thought he would. He took Toronto to the playoffs when nobody thought he would, and he was a 20-12 and 12 guy. And now he's been diminished to getting zero points in a game seven? Come on, man. That's not on him. Marcus, where was Chris Bosh at in game seven? He was at Club Live oh, on Beach. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, he was at Live. I think he was at Club Live. Nah, you know, with Bosh, man, he they, they're going to have to reassess his role going down the Next year, and I think that's where the Heat can can switch stuff up a little bit, can change things up a little bit. I think they have kind of two bullets to fire. 
And Justin has some points he's raising about the impact of LeBron on other guys. I'll get into that in a second, but first I just want to talk about how the Heat can improve in the buy situation. You know, they have to figure out a way to get him the ball on the block and how that's going to fit into what they're trying to do, point blank, period. That's a way that they can improve and add a new dimension to their team. As you said, maybe they're not – I agree with Justin. I don't think they're fully utilizing Bosch. You know, I made the comparison last week that in this series he had been reduced. And, again, in this series he had been reduced. I'm not saying this is who he is as a player, but this is the role he was playing in this series. He was like a Cliff Robinson, you know, big Cliffy from back in the day, you know, the 6'10", three-point shooter. And it, can he be more? Heck, yeah, he's got the talent to be more than that. Um so that's one way. And then the other way is, again, Wade kind of committing to becoming a better spot-up shooter. Now, is that, a, is that a product of playing with LeBron? Yeah, it is. Because you know what? Unfortunately, for better or for worse, LeBron can't do everything really well. And because he can't do everything really well, you know, you, know, you might not run D-Wade off as many pick-and-rolls as you would before. Why? Because you're going to have Bron doing that. And you might not post up Bosch as much anymore. Why? Because you want to face the floor for LeBron and get into the lane and, and cause the defense to collapse and he can kick it out and create shots for other people. And so if there is some validity, to, to I, I wouldn't take it to the degree that Justin is taking it, but I think LeBron, he's so gifted, he's so good, he does so many things well that sometimes Coach, particularly Spo, and even when he was in Cleveland, you know, he, he kind of – stifles other guys who also do things well because everything is going to run through him because he is so daggone smart. He's such a great basketball player. He's such a great decision maker. Why wouldn't you run everything through him? And it, it, it is what it is. I don't, I don't necessarily blame Spo for it. I think if that's your guy and that's, if that's the best player you got, you got to figure out how to get guys to play around him. Um, you know, this is why you don't let players play GM. You know, these guys want to get together. They want to play together. And if LeBron is having a negative effect, oh well, y'all y'all work this out. So you know what I mean. Y'all roll with it. But in the end, you know, I think I think Bosch just had Bosch had a bad game. He had a bad game at the wrong time. Where was he at? He was out there, but um, he scored as many points as I did in Game Seven, and that's not a good look for a guy who's a part of a, a, a triumvirate: the Heatles, the Super Friends, the Power Rangers, the Big Three, whatever you want to call them. He's a part of that, and he's still contributing. He still found ways to be engaged, but it was I, – I think he would say this if he was on it. He would say it wasn't his best game. Um, right. And it, it's just that. He had a bad – he laid an egg at a bad moment. My position on Bosch is he's all right. I mean, he's fine. He's a great player. And, you know, I think people have to find somebody to talk about and somebody to criticize – and, and and Bosch is a very easy target, you know. Um, <laughs> now now the fact check uh, just came in and and Bosch did not lead Georgia Tech to the Final Four. Um, that happened the year after he left with Jared Jack. Um, but but to your point, Justin, I think that Bosch is, you know, one of the best four guys in the league. I think he's exactly what the Heat needs. Any player that they bring in to replace Bosch in the post, if they if they do move him to bring in one or two guys, you know that they're going to be better defensively to match up with Hibbert and maybe some of the other <laughs> two other uh, post threats in the league. Um, right. I I think you're going to be giving up a whole lot, and 
And to me, Bosch, Bosch can guard, you know, pretty much anybody in the post decently. Uh, I mean, that that's not what he does. Offensively, he brings a lot. I think the one thing that Bosch can bring to his game, which is odd to say, the guy's been in the league, you know, 10 years. I think the one thing that he can bring is that he can do a little bit of what Chris Anderson did, especially in that Indiana series, the first couple of uh, games, where he spent a little bit more time in the post in a position to catch and shoot. Catch and shoot. Catch and finish near the basket. You know, be a better cutter. And I think if he adds that to his game without clogging up the the, the paint, that solves a lot of their issues. Uh, my ninth observation, Shane Battier. <laughs> this, I mean, my man went through a baseball. You know, guy goes one for 50. You know, just just those dirt, dog days of summer slumps where the cat cannot do anything. He hits the ball on the spot, and it goes right to the center fielder, right to the shortstop. This is what happened with Shane Battier. Shane Battier was fifth best in the league for three-point percentage this year with at 43%. So this is a guy that had a pretty good season doing what he needs to do on the offensive side of the ball. That's all they ask him to do is make the extra pass, keep the ball moving, and when you open, shoot it. But this guy didn't do that throughout the vast majority of the playoffs, and he showed up in game seven. Fellas, what do you all think about Shane Battier's performance? And we'll start with you, Justin. Doesn't surprise me one bit. I'll tell you this. I played against Shane Battier in AAU when he was with, with Team Michigan Mustangs. I was with the KZU Blues. He torched us for 30. It was the quietest 30 you'd ever seen in your life, but he did it. The Bull went to Duke, won national championships, goes to the league. Everybody's complaining about Shane and his tactics and taking charge. He's just a coachable guy who does all the right things at all the right times. I kind of look at his his slump or his struggles, as you would call them, uh, uh, to, similar to D. Wade's in games one, two, and three, or Ginobili's in game one, two, three, four, six, and seven. Notice I, I skipped game five. Shane is a type player. He doesn't lose confidence in himself. He's going to keep shooting. He's been great his whole life. Like I said, he torched me for 30 in AAU when I was, like, in the ninth grade. So, right. <laughs> Shane, I, I have the utmost respect for Shane, his coachability, and his ability to make plays when it counts the most. And I, I, it didn't surprise me one bit, and I couldn't be happier for – there's no better guy in the league to, to have a moment like that other than Shane Battier. Now, kudos to the Duke alum. Mr. and Detroit, Michigan's finest, Shane Battier. My tenth observation is we coming back to Coach Pop. Pop, we're not done with you yet. I don't have facts to back this up. Marcus, <laughs> I got to ask you. With 23 seconds left in Game 7, Popovich took out Tony Parker. He took out Tony Parker. Uh, he left Ginobili in as his main ball Handler you know, on the out-of-bounds play, and it was horrendous. Ginobili turned over the basketball. 
Outside of injury, can you think of one? And, I, you know, normally I try to see both sides of the coin. Okay, well, maybe he was thinking this. May, uh, Marcus, you are a basketball coach. You played basketball at a high level in college. Can you give me a reason, one solid fundamental basketball reason, why Tony Parker got sat down outside of injury? Uh, nah, bro. I can't. I got nothing for you. Um, I got absolutely nothing for you. Um, this is again one of Pop's things where I think he outthought himself. I don't know if Tony was hurt. I don't know what the deal was, but and I, I don't know if Pop had been watching Ginobili play. Um, I did, just, I said it last week. Dude was playing like he had KY jelly on his hands. I mean, he just couldn't hold on to the basketball to save his life, and so I, I, I don't, I never understood that decision. There were times where Pop had lineups out there in game six and in game seven where I was like, Yo, you got to get Parker and uh, Duncan on the floor. Uh, you know, he trotted out Ginobili. I think it was uh, Ginobili, Danny Green, um, Tiago Splitter, Boris Diaw, and, like, Gary Neal. And, like, you're going to start the fourth quarter with this crew on the, on the court, Pop? Are you for real? I know you – maybe this is what you always do. This ain't the time for it. So, it's baffling. I was baffled. I, I don't get it. Maybe, again, maybe maybe Tone was hurt or something and, and Pop wanted to go in a different direction, but I don't understand. A word from Mike Singletary. I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. I want winners. So, my issue, before I go on to my issue, Justin, can you give me a, a single basketball reason outside of injury, a logical basketball reason? And if you can hear my voice, I am in search. I have lost a little bit of sleep since this has happened because there's got to be a reason. And I'm looking for a reason out of the thousands of reasons why coaches make certain decisions. Justin, can you find me one, one rational reason why Tony Parker was not in the game with 23 seconds left in game seven? I absolutely cannot feel too and I hate that I can't because I like to be one of the smartest guys in the room. I, I would argue that Pop outthought the room. He, he thought he was being creative. He thought he was being ingenious. And I thought he failed tremendously. And, you know, I don't give, I, I could care less. If my best player is, is 3 for 12 or 1 for 11, whatever Tony Parker was at the time. him on the floor because he can make a big play. And I... I don't, I don't think Pop had the trust he should have had. I fought him I, at our fifth championship. So, on to my 11th observation. And this... So, when LeBron lost in 2011, his critics were all over him, and they made two key suggestions. A, get some kind of post-game, and B, be a stronger closer of games. We need for you to be more aggressive in the fourth quarter. Marcus, I'll ask you, since losing to the Mavericks in 2011, 
you were one of his harshest critics. Has LeBron done what he needs to do to improve that player? Um, I think with his outside shooting and his ability to close games, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know if, if there's any more you can ask from this cat as far as, as that goes. He shot 50%, 50-plus percent from the field, 40% from the three. Um, I still think he could commit more. He's developed some post moves. I still think he could commit more to getting down there a little bit often. More often, I think that's still one thing that he has. Playing in a post is a mentality. And it's one of those things, either you have it or you don't. And he's got to try and really work at developing more of a mentality that I'm going to punish cats on the block. He's gotten better at it. He's improved at it, and he's got some skills down there. But I still think he has to commit more to just getting down there more regularly um, on the block and doing some work down there for longer stretches in games. Justin, your brief thoughts. Uh very brief. You can't, you can't critique LeBron. I think he he's, he's the best player on the planet, and we need to stop critiquing this man as, as harshly as we all do. Uh, uh, he's the best specimen, physical specimen that we've seen since Kobe Bryant Bryant uh, uh, was drafted. And I think the guy deserves a pass. He's a two-time champion now. He has the ability to pass Michael Jordan in future years, not now, of course. And I think we need to get a man a pass and just, you know what, let, let, let's all be, as Nike would say, witnesses. <laughs> My twelfth and final observation as we're getting ready to go out the back door was uh, it was cool to see Popovich and Duncan be very gracious and defeat. Popovich looked genuinely happy for Wade and James after the Game 7. Now, obviously, Popovich would love to win. I'm not suggesting that. But I thought it was cool. I mean, you, you can see the connection that those three guys had uh, with Pop being Wade and James. And, and that's probably through their link through the Olympics. You know, uh, Pop has been an assistant coach for the past two Olympic teams at least. And and, and I thought that was kind of cool. Um, that's our show. You know, that, that was my stream of conscience. Those were my 12 thoughts that I put through for Game 6 and 7 in the NBA Finals. Fellas, it's been real. RealSportsGuys.com. We'll be back in two weeks. We're taking next week off for the 4th of July. And thank you for listening. And you can always find us on iTunes. RealSportsGuys.com. Out. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.